0: Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars.
1: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised.
0: How did that make you feel about shooting somebody that you've known all your life?
2: I was getting sick from uh, not having uh, opiates in my system. I was getting really sick. It feels like like the flu times a hundred. Rob, one of my neighbors. It was a neighbor I've known my whole life. Went terribly wrong. I've only had two dreams about this event. After you've done a decade flat in prison at that point, it's kind of hard to cry. When when I came to prison, stories about getting raped, and it was declared, they're getting raped, declared war, it just looked like it wasn't going to be fun
0: fighting. You are now listening to the podcast, Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. Welcome to Voices of a Killer, the podcast that delves deep into the minds of those who have taken a life. With this being the first episode, I wanted to provide a brief overview of what to expect as a listener. Each episode, I will sit down with the convicted murderer currently serving time to hear their story from their own perspective. These interviews are raw, unfiltered, and at times, disturbing. Throughout the podcast, we'll explore the circumstances that led to the murders, the emotions and thoughts that were running through the killer's mind at the time, and what life has been like for them since they were incarcerated. Our guests will be sharing their deepest regrets, their darkest moments, and the lessons they've learned along the way. We want to provide a platform for these individuals to tell their story, to give them a voice, and to offer listeners a rare insight into the mind of a killer. Be warned, the content may be unsettling and is not suitable for all audiences. So, join us as we delve into the Voices of a Killer. In this episode of Voices of a Killer, we sit down with Kevin, a convicted murderer from St. Louis, Missouri, who killed his neighbor while he was strung out on heroin. We'll hear about the events leading up to the murder the intense emotions that were running through Kevin's mind at the time, and the aftermath of his actions. From his time in prison, Kevin shares his deepest regrets, the lessons he's learned, and the impact his actions have had on his life and the lives of those around him. This interview is not for the faint of heart, but it offers a rare, unfiltered glimpse into the mind of a killer. So, sit back, listen closely, and prepare yourself for an intense and thought provoking conversation with Kevin what was your upbringing like did you you feel like you had a normal upbringing, or did you have some some stress through life or what
2: okay so growing up as a kid i, I I've been expelled from I've been expelled from the school district uh, I went to the st louis Public uh, city schools I got expelled from very young as a kid I've always had trouble with juvenile um getting along in, in big groups and things like that. I, I've been diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, uh, bipolar depression. I, I've been diagnosed all that as a kid. Uh, I've been on every medicine they, they got to offer, man. Um, I I've done all the medication. I've been in the psych wards. Uh, it's, 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 you know, I had, I had a rough go growing up, but to be honest with you, I didn't have no crazy ass upbringing life. Like I, I you know, my parents made mistakes growing up, like like everybody else does. Nothing too major. Um, I, I I grew up around a little bit of money. You know, I wasn't starving for money. I wasn't very poor. Um, I have a sister that she she's never been in trouble ever in her life, and I'm the total opposite. I was just kind of like the hell demon child, I guess you could say. I was the black sheep of the family.
0: This is a common story amongst a lot of drug addicts. Kevin's struggle with mental illness began at a young age. In his own words, he was the black sheep of the family, always feeling like he didn't quite fit in. His family tried their best to help him, taking him to doctors and therapists, but nothing seemed to work. Eventually, he was prescribed to a cocktail of medications to manage his ADHD, depression, and bipolar disorder. The starting point for a lot of addicts. For Kevin, at first the medication seemed to help, but it began to feel like he was living in a fog. The medication made him feel numb and disconnected from the world around him. It was around this time that Kevin discovered heroin. At first, it was just a way to escape the monotony of his life. But before he knew it, he was hooked. Heroin made him feel alive in a way that the medication never could. It dulled his pain and it made him feel like he was a part of something bigger than himself. But as with any addiction, the high didn't last forever. Kevin soon found himself spiraling out of control until one fateful day he made a decision that would change his life and the lives of those around him forever. Take me back to to the day you were strung out and the day that this robbery went down. Basically a home invasion, which was second-degree murder. Is that correct, Kevin? Yes, that's correct. I understand that you were basically strung out on heroin and basically hatched a plan to try to fix that fix your issue or you can get another hit and you decided to rob somebody and that robbery went wrong. The intentions wasn't for him to, to, to get killed. Is that correct? That's correct. Absolutely. What year was this? This was 2010. 2010. So you were out of money and you, and you wanted to, to make that, you wanted to turn something over so you could get high again
2: yeah it wasn't even really about getting high at the time. it was just feeling feeling normal feeling better. I was getting sick from uh not having uh opiates in my system. I was getting really sick. It feels like it feels like the flu times a hundred it's just really bad. It's like your body's shutting down yeah so uh yeah kind of a last minute deal I was just trying to get some fast cash and I uh, decided to try to rob one of my neighbors for their for their wallet and uh it just it went it went, uh, it went terribly wrong. And you had a
0: you had some other people with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was four of us all together. So why and uh, two of us? Well, why? So why were there other people with you? Were they also dope sick or or what?
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody was kind of everybody was kind of together uh, at the time. It, it was it was New Year's. Uh, we was all hanging out together for the New Year's, but at the same time, we were all drug addicts. But uh, yeah, it was kind of. Um, kind of just like last call type deal and come with me or not uh this is what i'm going to do real quick
0: so this was like an immediate neighbor down the street next door
2: yeah literally um let's see two houses up from mine so yeah it was it was a it was a neighbor i've known
0: my whole life your whole life so you i guess you'd spoken to this guy and, and everything else
2: yeah, absolutely. I did. I used to do yard work for him. Um, he used to help me out odd jobs to make a little fast money. Uh, real nice guy. Uh, he had a dog when I was growing up. Uh, I always remembered him for his German shepherd dog he used to have.
0: So did you, uh, did you wear a mask did, or what?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we wore bandanas, um, we put bandanas over our faces. Um, And you know, that's whenever we did it. Yeah, we had had bandanas around our faces to cover our identities.
0: Yeah, did you think he he knew who you were before when you when you went in there?
2: No, um, actually, he didn't. uh, He had a chance to speak with authorities before he passed. Uh, He, um, yeah, he didn't place me at the scene at all. Um, I was a five foot nine black male with short natural hair in my discovery. So. He didn't know that it was me, everything just happened so fast that uh yeah he's he didn't know it was me,
0: so so did you did y'all kick down the door? did you knock and push through or what happened
2: so we uh yeah we 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 went and knocked on the door and uh he answered the door and whenever he answered the door, he saw what was going on, he tried shutting it, and uh we started kind of fighting over the door and we wanted to kicking it in, yeah.
0: You guys just pushed through uh after you knocked, is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, We uh kind of knocked on it, he came to the door, um, he opened it, uh we all kind of paused looking at each other. Um it was like slow motion, man. Then uh he went to go shut the his eyes got real big, he went to go shut the door and while he was in the middle of shutting the door on us, uh the struggle went over shoving the door back and forth and then eventually it got it got kick kicked open. So
0: oh, yeah. was he pretty freaked out Did he run, run from okay. you or did he try to fight you at the yeah, door? Yeah.
2: yeah. He, no, he was trying to fight at the door first and then, and then he quickly, uh, he quickly, the kind of, the, the impact from the door kind of flung him back. to where he was in the living room area. Um, he, uh, hit the ground, uh, uh, was yelling not to hurt him. Um, which we told him we were not going to hurt him. I told him that, uh, then yeah, we, uh, we started tying him up. Uh we tied him tied his uh his ankles together and then locked his fingers and, and put it around his head and tied him that way so where he could put up much of a fight just kinda laid him over on the floor. While we ransacked the house, um I found uh I found the wallet, didn't tell no one about it. Uh I found fifty dollars in the wallet. Uh I took that to myself and then um okay, so while we're ramsacking the house, um I started to walk back in. Okay. We was coming up from the basement. Then we come through the kitchen back to the living room where the, where he's tied up. And whenever I'm walking through the kitchen, uh, one of my co-defendants grabbed me and yanked me back and started yelling that the dude had a weapon. And, uh, I look over and he was kind of looked like pointing something at me. And then a, a shot went off in the house and uh, a bunch of wooden paint shifts went uh, smattering all through my face. And then, and then, uh, some shots got returned and then it was, it was an immediate shootout in the house probably about four or five shots rang out. And then, um, after that we were stuck in the living room or stuck in the kitchen, trying to, trying to figure out if, uh, if this dude was going to kill us in this house or not. And, um, I peeped around the corner real quick and, and heard a noise and, and he was laying there kind of just, uh, it, it almost seemed like he was trying to catch his breath, but he couldn't. And uh, I kind of, I kind of went over to him and ate it to him for a minute um he's bleeding pretty heavily out of uh he got hit in his armpit and somewhere in his lower abdomen below the waist I was tending to him at first and then I just decided to get out of there and uh I ran out of there got out of there while the other people stayed in there and uh, I threw up all over myself and then um, I pulled out a red cigarette I remember lighting the cigarette uh, hitting a cigarette a couple of times and then running back down to my house and then just kind of sitting there in the driveway kind of contemplating on what just happened.
0: So are you the one, you're actually the one that pulled the trigger and shot him? Yeah. Did the other guys have guns? Uh, yeah, there was two weapons and a butcher knife involved. So how long after you got back to the house contemplating things, did you hear police cars coming?
2: Okay, so I never heard police cars coming. Uh, at this point, I had $50 um, I needed to... Uh, hurry up and get my fix uh, before I got too sick to where I couldn't walk around or anything. And um, so I hit another robbery of uh, somebody um, with a vehicle, uh, made that person transport me to the city to get my heroin. And then uh, on the way back from that, the street was blocked off and they uh, um, they had a crime scene van and they were dusting for prints at his house and uh, we passed through all that, we got back into my driveway, I got dropped off and uh, I remember once again outside smoking a cigarette and my mom coming out and asked me what the hell happened, I said I don't know and she's like well everything's alright up there I said me too and we were just kind of smoking a cigarette and she went in and uh, I went in and then that, that was it, I kind of didn't pay attention to it until three days later when the cops showed up at the door That's that's what happened
0: After the break, the aftermath and consequences of Kevin's actions. So, how did that make you feel about shooting somebody that you've known all your life? Okay. At the time, uh, my body was in shock.
2: For I ain't gonna lie, I was in shock from it for 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 quite a while. Um, I, I realized that I did, but I didn't. It didn't set in yet. Um, after okay, after some years go by, and I'm sentenced, and I'm in prison. Okay, I've had the whole twelve years I've been locked up. I've only had two dreams about this event. Um, I figured out I would have had a lot more. I've only had two dreams, um, and I remember clear as day. And, uh, it's just, it's just, yeah, it it, it, eats at me because of this reason why, um, I feel like that, that, that prison time, I felt like it, I felt like that it wasn't my punishment. Uh, Toby, I feel like that, uh, I feel like I still got to be punished for that, uh, later on in life. You, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, I wake up thinking about it all the time, especially in prison. Okay. When I saw the parole board the first time. Uh, they had a thing saying that I showed no remorse, which I don't know how they judge that. But, uh, if it's because I wasn't crying in my parole hearing, it's because I can't make myself cry. After you've done a decade flat in prison at that point, it's kind of hard to cry. You kind of teach yourself that it's, a, it's like, it's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to cry in there. So these people had a thing with saying, I, I don't seem like I'm remorseful, but uh, little do they know I have to wake up and, and replay why I'm waking up in prison for over a decade of my life. I think I know why I wake up in there every morning. You know what I mean? True. They just, they, they they don't understand that. And I understand what I did was very wrong by any means. I deserve to go to prison. But whenever they get to saying that like, you don't care, you're not remorseful, that shit's a little out of hand. Cause when somebody does an act like that and, it, and, and they're sentenced to the prison time, when you, every morning you wake up in prison, Hey, even when you, when you don't like being there, when you don't mind being there, did you wake up in prison every day? You're reminded every day you wake up while you're in there. You know what I'm saying? True.
0: Sure. During your t- course of time in prison, did you ever get any hate mail from his family?
2: Um, no, I did not. Uh, actually, I got the opposite. I got a um, more mail of uh, positive attitudes. Uh, with um, let's see, from the victim's family directly. No, I never had any mail from my family and other people speaking about it. Um, they were just everybody was shocked at first. It was uh, it was something like when I was going to court, you couldn't tell my mother that her son just did that. Like she thought I was innocent. She didn't know what the hell was going on. She there's no way that I could have done that in her mind. And that that was one of the hardest parts for me to be honest with you, man. Was uh, I'll never forget the day I had to tell my mom on a visit that I actually committed that crime, and uh, she just seemed so disappointed. Sure, you know, but uh, I didn't get too much hate mail, man.
0: Yeah, was your sister mad at you?
2: Uh, my sister, absolutely. She was the first one to answer my phone call when I had got locked up for what I got locked up for. Um, she answered the phone and she just kept asking me if I was fucking serious, and she couldn't believe it. She's like, "What the fuck?" And you know, but yeah, she was definitely really upset. And yeah, she's pretty upset. As a matter of fact, that that also made her take her course of her group. College. She went to Missouri State and uh, she started going to college for like uh, things like a deputy juvenile officer and like uh, drug counseling. Everything she goes to college for, it's funny. It's like something to do with, with me. You know what I mean?
0: Kevin's sister obviously cares deeply for him and her actions are out of love for him. Although she could not keep him out of prison, she still wants to protect him. One of the ways of protecting yourself in prison is by joining a gang. It is a way of seeking safety and security in a hostile environment. But the stakes are much higher in prison. Joining a gang means aligning oneself with a powerful and often dangerous group that has its own set of rules and expectations. For any prisoner, joining a gang may be a necessary evil. It not only provides a sense of belonging, but it also helps them navigate the complex social hierarchy of prison life. It also comes with its own set of challenges, as Kevin soon found out. He had to prove himself to the other members and he had to be willing to do whatever it took to be part of that group. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites.
1: All from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save ten percent on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P
0: When you first got to prison, had you ever been locked up before?
2: No, absolutely not. Okay, see I I've been locked up in group homes and things like that, but not like a prison setting. Um when we when when I came to prison, um prison was prison was uh, uh, a <laughs> it was a big deal, okay. Uh it seemed like that I would have known what to expect from it because I watched all prison shows growing up and things like that. But whenever you actually get there, it's a totally different feeling. It's a different story. It's a different look and everything.
0: And, you, and it's just it, it's. You went to straight. You went straight I, I to. It. You went straight to J Triple C right level five.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I went from uh, yeah. I went straight from St. Louis County to Bonter Diagnostics to, to Jeff City Correctional Center.
0: Okay, so whenever you got there, um, you had a lot of stuff to learn, I'm sure. Um, wh- how long did it take for you to patched up to, with a gang?
2: Okay, so when I got to J Triple C, um, I remember I won't never forget pulling up on that bus and thinking to myself, like, what the hell did you do? Uh, okay, because it was just uh, it just looks intimidating. All right, um, level five, young first camp. I show up there, um. And I just—I figured I had to be off the chain, man. It's just how, it's how I felt. So when I first got to J trip, I find myself in the hole really, really fast, fighting, uh, um, creating situations that, that that probably weren't real. Um, it, it got so I got so off the chain with with my uh, with my with just waking out, man. Um, the old the older people eventually sat me down over time and, and asked me what the hell I was tripping over so bad. You know, basically, I put it out like, that's how I got to be. That's how I got to be. You know, you hear stories about getting raped and, and shit going on in prison that you just figure it's not going to be you in that position until you are in that position. It's just crazy, man. But, yeah, when I first got to prison, man, I hung out on the guard and I kicked it for probably about two or three years until uh, I was a, officially a prospect member of Family Values.
0: Okay. Why Family Values over, like, say, well, Southwest honkers <laughs>
2: Okay, so Southwest Honkeys. I'm not from Southwest Missouri. All okay, right. and uh, they are uh, they're racist. organs, They're racially motivated. There's. Uh, I, I'm a mixed mutt. My my mom's not all the way white. My dad is white. But um, it's just it's. I, I, I was. I'm from St. Louis, man. So I've never been raised racist, uh, so to speak. So uh, I couldn't. That's why I didn't go along with uh with skinheads too much, man. Like the SSGs and and the a hog pound and all that man, I never really uh never I mean I get along with some of the guys but not like that man. Family values uh to me was uh you know they are they're more swagged out man you got your headed hat cocked to the side, they sag your pants a little bit, they 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 fade their hair, they're they're more swagged. It's just my my type of
0: my my group of people. You know what I mean? Right. So who is Family Values biggest rival? Okay, so whenever I whenever I got brought into it or as of now. No, I just wondered where you went into it. And now.
2: Okay. Okay. So when I I came to prison, you had like five or six big uh organizations on the yard that, as far as the You had the you had the Pecker Woods, you had the O-Wim. you had the Family Values, the SSGs, you had the Joplin honkies, Southwest Honkies, then you had uh you know, you had a couple A C area circle cats running around. Uh when I first came to prison the deepest on the yard man was the pecker woods. There were so many of them. It was just, there was a huge fucking army of me. And whenever I was prospecting for the fam, uh, they had fallen out with the, the pecker woods and it was declared, they're getting ready to declare war on all these guys throughout the whole state. And whenever <laughs> I'm kind of huddled up, pay attention to what's going on with people's breaking it down to me when I'm going to be doing what's going on. I'm like, all right, so we're getting ready to go at it with the group. Right. And they're like, yeah, the woods. I'm like, okay, that's these dudes over here, right? Cause there's like fucking 20 of them. was like four of us. You guys know that, right? <laughs> like it was just, uh, was just, the odds weren't uh, really taking into me that good. But anyway, yeah, that's uh when I first came to prison, man. The biggest war that kicked off was the family values in the Pecker Woods, man. And uh, yeah, the Pecker Woods lined up. They couldn't handle the raft, man. And they all either cover up their tattoos or kind of, you know, passed over or, or went on their, their separate ways. And then as the years went on, it just picked off with different groups, man. Um, it started off with the Peckerwoods, and then we did pick the, at, at the OMS, and slowly got them out the way. Then over the years, we fell out with Hog Pound, and then we would team up with Southwest and SSGs every now and then to, to take one or the other out with each other. And uh, it's just a big old yard game, man. You, you build an alliance with another team, you take out all the rest, and then when it's just you and the other team, you find a way to take them out too. That's kind of what was going on, so it was like a doggy thought world. When I was in there,
0: so you when you first got in there, you had a, you probably had a first fight, a first run in with somebody. What was that fight over?
2: okay, my first fight, my first run in <laughs> okay, let's see my first fight run in was over. um, I didn't even know what it was over uh, it was over okay there was a there's a dude named okay, his nickname's tiny um i I am supposed to go and find, uh, get this tiny dude out on the yard so I can, um, you know, so I, so I can swing on him and, and try to get him in the hole. That's, that's the big game here. So this he sure. needs to go in the hole, for what reason? I don't know. I'm getting sent at him. Uh, so I'm outside of a housing unit. That's not mine. Uh, right after breakfast time, it's so cold out and I'm, I'm trying to get this dude tiny out the house. And whenever I send people in there, to go get this dude tiny. I see the group of people coming out with the dude, and it's a huge fucking dude. Um <laughs> looks like Brock Lesnar. He ain't got no deck. Um, he's <laughs> a huge dude walking out. And I'm like, uh, I'm like yeah, it makes sense because his name's Tiny, right? So I'm like, fuck this shit. I turn around, I left. I act like it didn't even happen. So, uh, I went last left and went back to my house and everybody's like, damn, what happened, man? You didn't find him? I'm like, oh, I'll find him. I was like, I found him. He's uh, he's pretty big. And uh, you know, they were all laughing at me. They're like, well, when we go to shop lunchtime, man, uh, we'll go with you, but we need you to, you know, you need to jump on Tiny or whatever. And then at lunchtime came, and we were going to chow, man. And uh, I waited until we got in front of the CEOs on purpose, and everything. I'm not gonna lie, this dude just looked like he wasn't gonna be fun fighting. And uh, I took off on this dude, Tiny, man, and uh, pushed shoved him down. He lost his balance, he fell. It looked real good at first, and then my dumbass was too busy standing up, hooting, and hollering and and look, kind of look cool, and I let him get up, and when he got up, it was over with me, and he kind of got a hold of my collar, and started beating the fuck out of me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. How, how long so was you doing was the hole for brother?
2: <laughs> okay, so, uh, not only I got sprayed with a yard fogger for the first time, huge can of mace, and that shit sucks, and it, it burns so bad. Okay, they took me to the hole, um, I sat in a strip cage, uh, I hit the water, like a dumbass, I hit the water right away, and the water hurt me, Okay, I thought I thought that it burnt whenever it went down and hit my junk, right? Okay, so when Mace hits your balls and your dick, it like really, really burns. But I'm not going to lie, it ain't got shit on when it goes down your backside. And if it hit your asshole, I swear to God, that shit burns so bad, man. <laughs> That's the worst burn I've ever had in my life, okay? But anyway, after that, um, I sat in the hole. I got 20 days to for that, so I had to do 20 days with nothing. And then after that, I was pending dead space for another month because it was real full out on the yard. So I did a total of uh, about fifty days on that.
0: So was that yeah. was that part of your initiation yeah. to get into Family Values, or did you have an initiation?
2: Oh no, see, yeah, that was all of it. It was. Uh, that's the thing, though, when you're prospecting, man, it's a time period. It's not. Uh, it ain't about you do one thing or two things. It's just you know you're on deck as long as you're on deck for it, so everybody feels like they're comfortable to vote you into the family or not. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, that was, I, I was, I pros- I prospected for over 13 months. It was pretty
0: rough. Prospecting for a gang in prison refers to the process of trying to become a member of a particular gang. This is one of the many parts of prison slang that makes up Kevin's vocabulary. These words carry with them a darker significance. They are the lexicon of a world where violence and danger lurks around every corner. And where the line between life and death could be determined by something as seemingly innocuous as a word or phrase however there are other terms that carry a lighter meaning babies is one that refers to transgender women or gay men in prison trans women in prison face a unique set of challenges and dangers often isolated from other inmates they can be subjected to harassment violence and sexual assault in some cases they are housed in men's facilities which can exacerbate these issues I wanted to know what Kevin's experience of this community in prison was like, so one of the things I wanted to ask you is you know in the last ten maybe more years, there's more people that are like uh men that are made uh transition into women like trans women. Do you ever see like women oh, yeah. there's there's now like men with boobs and look just like women in prison now, right,
2: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had a couple of sellers that, I, yeah, they were transgender. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I get along with transgenders, man. Uh, I get along with with, uh, with gays, transgenders. Anything that somebody says that they are, man, that they that that's what they're identified as, I don't have a problem with that. See, I grew up in prison my whole life, man. And to be honest with you, the homosexual activity and things like that, it's it's not frowned upon. Like, you just, people don't speak out of their business. You know what I'm saying? What, what another man has going on with whatever, however he's doing his life in there, Nobody interferes with that. You know what I'm saying? So you just act like it's a it's a normal everyday thing, man. The babies on the yard—they're actually pretty cool. They're real loyal, man. They're real fun to hang around every now and then. They have good conversations. They laugh and giggle a lot. If you want to get away from all the serious crazy shit and you're having a bad day, go kick with the babies for a couple minutes and have you laughing. You know what I'm saying? Right,
0: (laughs) right. And and they're usually got a—they kind of give a sensitive side to all the masculine stuff in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've also heard that uh, the Missouri Department of Corrections changed some policies to where they can actually get, you know, brawls and shit if they want.
2: Yeah, they get the order from the female canteen. So, yeah, if, you, if you're listed, if you're on the trans, they have something called a transgender committee now. Uh, they meet up with the warden, like, at least once a month and, and tell them how they're doing. And they can get shell moves done immediately all the time. So, like, if they're not getting along with, their, with whoever they're in the room with, whether it's their, their guy or just their friend, they move them ASAP to where they don't get put in bad positions. Cause you know, you got dudes try to take advantage of transgenders and rape them and stuff. And they're still, so right. if they're not comfortable somewhere they get moved right away and yeah, they, they have to be identified as whatever they want to be. So you have certain staff can't pat search certain inmates because of certain reasons or how they work on. They have to be referred to as ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes come up and have breasts. They have to wear bras, uh, especially in the showers. They got to wear gray t-shirts sometimes. Yeah. It's just very real. It's definitely, it's definitely switching over. There are a lot of wear makeup. If they're on the transgender committee, if they're not all listed on the committee, they get rolled up for it. But the ones that are, they take hormones and they're allowed makeup and all that shit.
0: So they actually get hormones while they're in prison?
2: Absolutely, yeah. If they're taking hormones to get locked up, yeah, they definitely take hormones in prison. Uh, when you when you get so far into it, man, they're not really allowed to have cellies. Though you'll have you'll be in the wing with one man, and and they'll have a single cell to themselves. And a lot of times they won't give them cellies. We had one in Pacific named Michelle from Kansas City. Michelle, the name of Michael, switched his legal name to Michelle. Was taking hormones, didn't grow any hair, wore sports brawls. He was a real big Indian kind of looking. Female, and uh, I guess okay. So the white shirts or the the sergeants, lieutenants wouldn't have them uh, have her have cellies there. So they would even when it was time for her to take a shower, uh, they would have to have a white shirt stay at the shower room. So she gets twenty minutes to shower by herself. We can't go in there for twenty minutes.
0: With Kevin's unique insight into the life of transgender women in prison, we offer a window into their world. It's a difficult and often overlooked aspect of the prison system, and one of that deserves more attention and support. In this next section, I ask Kevin about the experience with violence in prison. Here he refers to two interesting terms. Firstly, a Cadillac string, which is a very long string that's pulled from bed sheets, towels, or clothing, tied together and used to send messages and contraband to one another under the crack of a cell door. Some of these inmates get so good they can pass the end of a Cadillac to the cell door at a lower level on the first trial with just the memory of where the cell door was. The knife is fashioned out of pieces of metal from their bunk, and they commonly refer to it as a blade. So, out of all the yeah, different, yeah. out of all the different prisons you went to, which one's uh, the toughest?
2: In Missouri, Licking is the most violent level five we have. It's treacherous, absolutely. It's gladiator school. That, by any means, that's hands down, man. That's that's the most violent. Fucked up spot you got there, man. It's just like it when you get there, it's weird because everything's cool. And then when you get there and you're there for a while and you start, you know, seeing shit and shit starts going, and then it's, it's not cool. You know what I mean? It just, it, it, it gets really serious, really you fast. Left. That's the most violent one would be licking.
0: Okay.
2: Absolutely.
0: Are there tough people in the jail you're at now?
2: Uh, the jail I'm at. Okay. So I don't know if you know anything about St. Louis, but if, if you know the East Side, the east side, man. Uh, If you get locked up on the east side of St. Louis, this is where you go. Uh, You come to St. Clair County. Um, It's a real ghetto ass, fucked up jail. Actually, when I got here, okay, I came out of prison 220. I came in here weighing 149. I'm back at 220 now. You know, when I first got here, it was just a lot of fighting. You know, I know a handful of people here from doing time, but Illinois sucks, man. It's very poor. It's shitty. And uh, then I got into a, you know, there's a little trouble here with the uh, Another corrections officer. They were saying that uh that we was in a relationship, so I got in trouble for that for a little bit, and then uh now I'm just kind of getting picked on and rolling around.
0: Yeah. During your time at prison, what is probably like the worst thing you've seen while you were in prison?
2: As, I mean, as far as what that's a, that's a long category. Like, what what do you mean as far as? Well, what, what condition? Violence. Violence. Oh, I, okay. Uh, you want to talk about like the best knife fight I've ever seen? Sure. Yeah. All right, so there's a split in the chapter going on. I'm at Licking at this point. I've been in Antic for over a year, in um, Two House and Licking at S Triple C. This was in 2018. Okay, so there's a split in chapter going on with the brothers on the yard. Okay, you got uh, the fam split up into two and are fighting each other. It's a it's a bad deal going on over some bullshit. So I have a brother trapped who is next door to me. And his cell was cleared open because he was expecting one of our other brothers to come over and fight him over disagreements they've had going on within the organization. Okay. So another person comes over instead of the person that's supposed to, but he's also another of the family. So they go on that cell together next door. And at first they're in there talking and politic and everything seems to be going fine. And then um, about probably about 30, 45 minutes into it, it just sounded like a tornado started going off. And, uh, the two started going at it real bad and nobody was supposed to be armed. And, uh, somebody wound up having to uh, bring a knife to the fight. And, uh, them two was in there in that cell for, for shit, by a half hour, at least it was the longest one I ever seen. They had to keep taking breaks, man. It was two and they were fighting over a knife. And they were stabbing the fuck out of each other, man. i tell you what, it was some pretty gruesome. ass sounds, man. It, it's okay. There's so much blood going out. Their heads were bouncing all over the walls and the floor, man. So it's not like a fucking bowling ball in there, hitting everything. They were slipping, sliding in their own blood. Trap. He got stabbed real bad uh, down his spine. It almost paralyzed him. And then Dylan, he got hit real bad in his chest area to where it was like, squirting out of his chest it almost sounded like a can of soda pouring out man it was it was really heavy flow of blood and there's a safety button in your cell you hit if you get scared or, or something emergency going on in the cell there's a safety button you hit and the COs are supposed to come now uh, they ignore it half the time in the hole because people just hit the button just be hitting it well they were arguing over who's going to hit the button first because it's like a pissing contest man um they stayed staffing the shit out of each other beating each other up we got to the point, none of them would hit the button and say they needed help, so they're both bleeding out in there. Then, hand smacks on my wall, and they want me to shoot my Cadillac string over through the bottom of the door over to their door, and they tie on the, the weapon, and, and I pull it back in. My and said, and let me to get rid of it. And it's a fucking... So now I get the full view on what they just passed around, man. It's, it's a fucking piece of bunk. It's like, dude, it was such a thick, long, sharp, fucked up jagged looking piece of bunk, man. It was some rugged shit, but, uh, yeah, it was all full of blood. Um, eventually the, the surgeon and them come around and, and they couldn't, you know, they thought they were in their debt to get on the radio. And when all the COs come, come up there and they finally opened the door, man, they pull both of them out and they're pouring out blood. So bad, man, it was just, they would look pale as a ghost. It was insane, dude. It looked like a some shit out of a, a Halloween horror film. There was so much blood and they had to airlift them to off the yard to uh i think it was columbia hospital because they were pouring out so bad but yeah that's probably the worst one i saw where they
0: survived wow so what was the the knife was made out of metal
2: yeah yeah it was absolutely it was a metal uh you could chip it off with uh some some toenail clippers or you get some type of clipper items where you can work on them for a while man if you get them in your cell to you all alone you can cut out metal pieces of your bunk and, and just metal pieces around the or any kind of steel you're around, man, if you chip at it enough, it'll, you, can, you can get it out of there. Yeah, so did you ever get stabbed while you were in there? I had one knife fight the whole time I was in there. I've had one knife fight. Yeah, I didn't really get stabbed too much. I've been poked before, but not like that. No, that's, that's one thing I ain't never really had to worry about, man. I didn't really play with knives too much, except for when I had to, uh, there's only one time I had to use one, man. And, um, yeah, it was it was me and someone in a cell at licking. Um this was a booty bandit I was in the cell with, I'm sure if if you uh, know what yeah. a booty bandit is. Yeah. Um, okay. So I had uh I had a guy, I'm not even gonna say his name. I had a guy in the cell with me, man. Um he was supposed to leave cause I was trying to get a certain kind of Sally. And uh he wouldn't leave, man, and he was on some weird shit and I told, man, I don't know what's going on, but you need to leave the cell. I got some shit going on. I don't know what type of time you're on, but I, you know, you gotta get out of here. And the dude was just on some extra weird shit, man. Like, uh, you know, playing with his dick at the door, some weird shit, man. And, uh, so I jumped down off my bunk and started tripping with him. And, uh, it's right at nighttime when they were getting ready to shut the lights off, man. And they shut the lights off on us and me and him's arguing at the door and, the wing door had closed or something out in the wing to where he turned around and looked outside the door. When he looked outside the door, I took that opportunity to go ahead and uh sucker punch him. Maybe I get the upper advantage cause he's a lot bigger than I was. So I go ahead and uh, I punched him in the face. while I wasn't looking and uh, we started going at it in the cell and I'm hitting with everything I got and uh, he's not going down. So it's kind of scary. So it was kind of a last resort deal. Uh, I pulled out a blade that I had, and I was bluffing with this, what I was trying to do, but the bluffing didn't go too good, and uh, he wound up coming at me, and I, had you know what I mean. We wound up fighting over it a little bit. So,
0: as we delve into Kevin's story, it's impossible to ignore the role that heroin played in his descent into crime. Sadly, this is a common theme in Missouri, where drug addiction has led to a surge in crime rates. In fact, according to the Missouri Department of Public Safety, nearly 70% of all Missouri inmates are serving time for drug-related offenses. However, some countries have taken a different approach to drug addiction and crime. In Canada and Portugal, drug use is treated as a health issue rather than a criminal one. This approach has led to a decrease in drug-related deaths and a reduction in overall crime rates. I was curious to hear Kevin's thoughts on this approach. Could decriminalizing drug use have helped him avoid the path that led him to prison? But before I could ask him this question, I was reminded of one of the terminal problems with calls from behind bars. So, let me ask you something. Do you feel like if... I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but... There's there's several countries out there, like Canada, Portugal, that legalize drugs... To where you can actually go into a clinic, shoot up with heroin... And you're fine. You, you can do that twice. You can do that twice a day. Do you feel like you wouldn't even be where you were if there was a clinic like that where you can go shoot up heroin? Our session is about to end. Can you call me tomorrow at ten a.m.? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Tomorrow at ten a.m.
0: We would have to find out the answer to that question and more on our next call. For now, we leave Kevin and his captivating story to be continued on a future episode of. Voices of a Killer on the next episode of Voices of a Killer.
2: I actually found one of my soulmates doing time at the prison. Hey listen, uh, okay. I got you on freeway right now <laughs> Hold on, I got you on freeway with,
0: Okay My husband was trying to fuck
2: this bitch While I was going because I let her move into my house You know, bitch got her She's backpack. another CO yeah. so. I got to watch the video And you like <laughs> crave along the wall And like army crawl under the fucking bed Into the blind spot <laughs> Which was a staff bathroom That nobody fucking used
0: So what y'all doing there? Y'all just talked about like football or something?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a wrap on this episode of voices of a killer i want to thank our guest kevin for sharing his story with us today i know it couldn't have been easy for him to relive those painful memories but his willingness to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special a big shout out to sonic futures who handled the production audio editing music licensing and promotion of this podcast if you want to hear more episodes like this one make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer.
1: upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order that's quince.com slash upgrade
0: hey listeners toby here we have a special announcement just for you voices of a killer is launching its very own patreon page an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these grippy tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind the scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this, at our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos, and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before. At our producer tier, you will have the opportunity to engage with the team, participate in Q&A polls, and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments. This tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future. You'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes. How cool. At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once in a month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.